0: So our birth into this world is something that has a cause, and that cause is karma. We're born according to our karma. Our lives follow their course according to karma. Karma is our foundation, our basis. Whatever karma we do, whether for good or for ill, we receive the results of that karma. So merit wholesome karma is something that we need and something that gives good results and it's something that we have already in order to have been born as humans. Having this human body means that we've done merit in the past we've done good karma in the past. We followed the five precepts in the past in order to have this human body. So we can say that having this human body is having a type of wealth already. We have our five sense bases, the eye, the ear, the nose, the tongue, the body, that have those complete and healthy. This is a type of wealth. So living in this world, we're born not knowing anything, but even from the time of birth, we have this feeling of self, this sense of self. Ever since birth, ever since being in the womb, there's this feeling of self, a feeling of me and mine. And some beings, having been born, are able to focus their minds well. And some are born not being able to focus for long periods of time. So this is related to karma. Their mother, father, or caretaker can help improve this condition or cure it. Or make it better, this is possible. And one uses training in the present as well. One's able to use training and conditioning in the present moment, even though it's related to a past karma. So having been born, all jittas, all minds, whether humans or animals, they all want happiness just that much, and they don't want suffering But yet we all meet with suffering ongoingly in this world. So in order to not meet with more suffering, we need to seek a way out of this condition of dukkha, of suffering. Or at least to reduce our suffering. So we can ask, well, why is this mind, why is it mine? Why can't I control it? We see that this mind has proliferation, distraction, uh, busyness, feeling bothered, feeling upset. These arise. These experiences arise continuously. So we see the drawbacks in this experience of dukkha, this experience of stress and suffering. This is seeing the noble truth of dukkha, the first noble truth. And we can take a look at this Noble Truth. Well, What is there in this first Noble Truth? There's separation from the Loved. Not getting what one wishes for, getting what one doesn't want. And what one doesn't want can be physical things. It could be immaterial things like care or separating from the Loved again. And all this is suffering. The people we love, we get separated from. Whether it's a mother, a father, a spouse, a husband, wife, uh, various family members, Because each being having been born or go- born with their own karma, we may be able to live together for a time, but later we must be separated. And it's like this in every single lifetime. The Buddha taught that having been born every single lifetime, we meet with suffering in every single life. Every time we're born, we meet with suffering. So we're born, then we die, and we suffer, and it repeats over and over. And the sense of self, the sense of me and mine, this gives rise to suffering, and it arises continuously. In a single day, these feelings of me and mine arise a lot, arise all the time. As soon as the eye comes into contact with the visual form, just this external object contacting the internal sense space, the sense of self arises right there. So we have to be careful and have restraint, establish mindfulness well to see the connection between suffering and its cause. Because when the cause for dukkha is present, then dukkha arises. And this happens because of the kilesas, the defilements in the mind, which is craving and attachment, give rise to suffering. So if we have mindfulness and wisdom, if we have right view, then we'll seek a way to cure this suffering, to fix this problem of suffering. We may listen to the dhamma of the great teachers, seek out knowledge and study. And then what we learn is that we need to practice. For instance, we practice the four foundations of mindfulness as described in the Satipatthana Sutta. And this is a foundation for goodness that we need and the foundation is doing sacrifice and generosity practicing dana this is a foundation for our merit and even higher than this is the practice of virtue of sila of the five precepts is even higher than the practice of generosity so when we have generosity and virtue it'll bring us warmth in our heart, happiness to a degree, can bring peace to our family and our household. Because the mind with virtue and generosity is a mind that has quality, that has goodness. So we can see the result, the fruits of Dhamma practice right there. The fruit of having generosity and virtue We can compare it to a fruit that has some flavor, but it's not yet totally ripe. So we contemplate that having sila, there can still be a big sense of self, or a lot of sense of self, a lot of dittimana, views and conceit. And having only virtue is not capable of bringing the mind to true peace. The mind still has chaos and agitation as anger, hatred, attraction, aversion, delusion, ignorance, feeling annoyed and agitated and doubting and so on. So we see the drawbacks in our mind that's agitated and troubled. And therefore we try to practice, to practice mindfulness, to make our samadhi well-established, to give rise to wisdom and this is something that we can do even if we don't endeavor to reach a loftier, high Dhamma. It's something that we all can do. Lay people can do this practice generosity, virtue, giving, and sacrifice. And in a given day, we see that the mind proliferates and thinks without ceasing, proliferates about the future, about the past. And so observe this, observe this happening in the mind. We see that the Buddha taught to have a meditation object, to have a meditation object for our minds. This could be, for instance, chanting it to be so 108 times, or chanting it throughout the day, whether sitting, standing, walking, or lying down, to have mindfulness in all postures. Even when we're listening to another person, we can still recite this internally, recite Budo dhammo sangho, have mindfulness with this. And we're still able to listen to the other person, but we're also practicing our bhavana, our mental cultivation internally at the same time. We don't forget our meditation object. And even while we're talking, we can maintain our meditation object as well. In the beginning we may not see the fruits of practicing with a meditation word like this, but if we do it without ceasing, if we do it constantly, and we get used to it, then we start to see the benefits, because we see that this practice, it's recollection of the Buddha, recollection of the Dhamma, recollection of the Sangha, and the mind gets accustomed to it, then it's easy for the mind to become collected and peaceful. And the body and mind feel light and at ease. And we can sit for one hour or two hours in a day. And for lay people, this would be a lot already. And if during the day we let go of our mindfulness a lot, then when we come to sit in meditation, it'll be difficult to become peaceful. So therefore we have to have effort and perseverance and having mindfulness throughout the day, to have a lot of mindfulness throughout the day. Whether one is a monk that has a lot of duties, one still needs to have this mindfulness well established. And if one's over 60 years old, for instance, one may have more free time to practice with one's meditation word and do study. Because in one's, if one's older like this, one sees that in one's life that a lot of time has passed with one working to gain money to care for oneself and one's family, and this has used up a lot of time. And perhaps during this time, one was able to just do generosity and virtue, but only meditate and practice with the meditation word just a little bit. And when one And therefore, due to this lack of internal practice, lack of meditation, suffering arises more often. So what we gain is monetary wealth, but what we lose is time. We can compare time to gold. When we come close to death, we see that time is something that becomes more and more valuable. It's incredibly valuable. We can think, for instance, if we're just in this world for seven more days, what will we do? So when our body is healthy, we should meditate and practice to the fullness of our ability. Because when it comes to the time when our body is not healthy, then it's difficult to meditate. And when one's close to the end or one has uh, illness, one may be surrounded by a lot of loved ones and family but not a single one of those loved ones and families capable of taking away one's painful feelings. So when it comes to this point, you understand the truth of the Dhamma, that we come into this world alone and we leave this world alone. We don't know where we're gonna go when we die. So we need to have this goal in mind, to have effort to do a lot of merit in the present moment to remember our meditation object a lot, to do merit. And when we do merit, we recollect that merit a lot, recollect it every day. And we see that Buddhists are able to do merit in its fullness and completeness. And so one can recollect this merit often. One feels fullness and happiness in the heart. One can also think to and recollect the loving kindness and compassion of the Lord Buddha, that the Buddha taught us about generosity, virtue and meditation. And thinking of the qualities of the Buddha, this is Buddha Nusati, the recollection of the Buddha. We think of the Buddha's great giving and sacrifice, his virtue, morality, generosity, and so on. And thinking in this way, we can feel very full and happy in our hearts, thinking of these qualities of the Buddha, which are so great, without limit, without compare. So we recollect this merit, sacrifice, and giving. We recollecting this, our mind becomes peaceful and collected in samadhi, becomes still. This can be kanaka samadhi, momentary concentration, or upajara samadhi, neighborhood concentration. Then we come to listen to the dhamma, to meditate. And sometimes it's difficult, it's hard to do. The mind may be in the present moment for just a period of time. But we keep practicing, and later on we're able to We're able to do it. We're able to be in the present and have peace. The mind becomes higher and better. We have fullness and happiness in the heart. The body and mind feel light and at ease. Then we contemplate the Dhamma. We can think to the body, having mindfulness with the in and out breathing, with Bhutto, for instance. The mind becomes still then we're able to see the body clearly. Knowledge arises. One sees the body as impermanent, as a nichang. It's something that can't last, it must degrade. So we think and we recollect this. And if our mind lacks intelligence, then we can ask, well, is our body going to age? Is it gonna get sick? Is it going to die? And this can give rise to knowledge bit by bit. And everything that there is that we call ours, one day what can we take with us when we die? So that we see that which is of value is this very breath. Because when this breath is done, and we have no more breath than everything in the world. We leave behind. We don't take anything with us. So contemplate like this, and this can bring the mind to peace and samadhi. And when we're practicing, there may come a time where the mind gathers together. We see convention, samuti. We see that everything in the world is merely a convention. The mind gathers together, and vimuti becomes clear. Liberation becomes clearer. We see that all things in the world, whether considered valuable or not, the Dhamma is more valuable than them. Because all the physical things, one is not able to take them with oneself. So seeing this rapture, Dhamma rapture arises due to this clear seeing. One sees that old age, sickness and death are closing in on one all the time that all beings in the world are the same in this way. And seeing this, the mind feels very dispassioned with regard to the world and wants to seek a way out, feels sangwega. Wants to seek a way out of old age, sickness and death. And this is what the Buddha taught. And the Buddha saw old age, sickness and death before he left the palace. And these are called deva-duttas, mes- deva-messengers, or heavenly messengers, which messengers of the highest type. So we practice and meditate following in the footsteps of the Buddha. And when we follow the Buddha like this, we realize the state of savaka, discipleship of the Buddha. So practicing to follow the Buddha like this and giving rise to savaka-sangha is truly amazing, truly a miracle. When we practice, we may not believe if it's possible. We see that samadhi is something that's hard to do. But if we keep on practicing, we keep endeavoring, then it is possible for samadhi to arise. We can even reach the point where the body and mind feel light as a normal state. They feel light all the time. This is upajara samadhi, the mind that's close to one-pointedness, so this is possible. Even when we're speaking, our samadhi doesn't degrade. Even when eating or doing chores, the samadhi is stable, and this is something that's miraculous. Then we're able to contemplate the body, see everything is empty, see that in truth it's empty then the mind becomes empty of craving and attachment temporarily. And we see that Nibbana is very close by. We see this clearly. In the beginning, we may have doubts about this. We read the Satipatthana Sutta, the Discourse on the Foundations of Mindfulness. And we see that it's taught if one really practices for six or seven years, then one will see the truth for sure. And we study this, and we may have doubts about this. But we keep on practicing, and these doubts are dispelled of on their own. They go away on their own. Because we see that really all there is is arising and ceasing, arising and ceasing just that much and the quality of samadhi, of collectedness, we use that to contemplate, to see this clearly. We see not-self clearly. And seeing this, this is able to cut off the sense of self, cut off wrong view, give rise to right view. In the beginning, we can see like this. And we don't destroy the kilesas completely at this point. It's something that lay people are able to do as well. This practice of dana, sila, and bhavana, lay people are able to achieve this as well. And they may help society and be of use to society as well according to their ability. Because living in groups, living in society in the world, this is something that we all must do. And we set our hearts on this dhamma practice as well to see that all of our lives are uncertain and therefore we wish to practice the dhamma. We see that the days and nights are constantly coming and going, passing by. The months and years go by and so we set our hearts on this mental cultivation practice. Bring our minds to stable samadhi in order to contemplate clearly. And the mind that has mindfulness and clear comprehension constantly circling around is able to give rise to wisdom. So the mind one needs to cultivate restraint in the mind. that have mindfulness and one can when the mind is restrained, one can have mindfulness as soon as one wakes throughout the whole day and then into the nighttime up until one takes a rest. And when one has continuous mindfulness like this with a restrained mind, dharma practice becomes easier by a great deal. The mind is peaceful and collected in samadhi. But when dharma practice is difficult, that's when the mind lacks samadhi. So therefore one must have effort at this point If one's thinking a lot, if the mind's very distracted and agitated, do buto a lot, do the meditation word a lot, recite it to be so a lot, to bring the mind to peace. So one needs to do this with sincerity. And in the end, the mind is able to gather together, give rise to clear knowledge. And this is... The knowledge that arises through one's own practice, the Bhavana Maya Panya. It arises in oneself, clear knowledge arises in one's own mind. So one sees sees this once and sees clearly, and it's not a lot, but this clear knowing arising makes the mind change. The path factors of sila, samadhi, and panya gather together. They gather together in the mind. And one's able to see clearly the Noble Eightfold Path gathers together. And we can call this the Gotrabhu chitta, the change of lineage citta, and the change of lineage knowledge Gotrabhu jnana. And it's something that we may have read about, we want to know what it's like. But when we practice, when we see for ourselves, we understand for ourselves. So, the seeing of the Dhamma, this realizing the Dhamma, it's something that we're able to do in this lifetime. So, may you really do it. Don't give up, don't retreat, but practice, cultivate mindfulness reflect that the days and nights are constantly passing by. Whether one has a lot or a little in this world, we throw it all away in the end. And if we practice Dhamma, then we get something good, or this goodness that comes into our hearts. And when one's able to realize the Dhamma, then we practice, what we realize is fewer lifetimes. As a stream enter, a sotapana has no more than seven lifetimes. Speaking in another way, we say that there's no eighth lifetime. So we reduce the number of lifetimes that we cycle through samsara. And if we don't realize to this level, then we have many more lifetimes in this cycle of birth and death the cycle of birth and death, which is very long, very scary. We travel along in this cycle of samsara for a very long time. So may you all strive and set your hearts on this practice.